As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash-flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital-raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We're starting to see privacy become a serious issue for companies based on the type of tools you use. So states, particularly in the United States, have passed privacy laws that require you to do things such as state whether you follow do not track signal. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes the free service. Here comes the free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. I hope you're having a best ever weekend. Because it is Sunday, we've got a special segment for you called Skill Set Sunday. And holy cow, you got to pay attention. Because if you have a website, which 
I know you do as a real estate investor, at least an active real estate investor, I know you do, then we have a guest who is going to identify the areas that you need to address within your website from a legal standpoint. How you doing, Richard Chapo? Doing well. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Richard. He is an internet law attorney at SoCalInternetLawyer.com. He's been advising small and large online businesses on how to best comply with internet laws. He's got 24 years of experience based in sunny San Diego, California. So Richard, before we get into the details of the identifying areas that need to be addressed for our website, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background just for some context? Certainly. So as you mentioned, I'm based in San Diego, practicing law for 24 years. I originally started out in a litigation firm. We did what's called boutique litigation, dealing with complex business issues, insurance products, things of that sort. In 1999, I headed off to Russia for a year to teach. And at that time, Russia was still working through the whole process of going from communist society into something more democratic or whatever it is they have today. <laughs> and then at that point, I was over there for a year, came back, and I had a friend, another attorney who I partnered up with, and we started getting into the internet field because although it's a major part of our lives today, in 2000, it was still pretty new. Google, those kinds of companies were really just starting to get rolling, and there were a lot of interesting issues for us from a legal perspective. And I've been practicing since then represent everybody from blogs to dating sites to software companies, both in California and around the world. All right. Well, you have quite a well-traveled background and we're fortunate to have you on the show. So let's talk about as active real estate investors, most of us have a website and we're not experts. Most of us, myself included, in one just the programming or layouts and also just the online approach that we need to take. But two, we're definitely, unless we're lawyers, not privy to what type of disclaimers we need to have, what type of documents or lines of copy or trademarks that we need to include on the website. Just help us understand what are the areas that we need to look at with our website in order to try and shore it up as much as possible. Well, the interesting thing about a website for the best of our listeners is that it depends specifically on the functionality that you have on the site, but there are basic things that you want to put in place that will help limit any risk that you would have operating online. Unlike brick and mortar businesses, there are some concerns that come up from a legal perspective that are unique to the web. One of the biggest places to start with is privacy. You need a privacy policy. Even if you don't care at all about the legal ramifications, Google considers it a ranking factor. <laughs> so if you're trying to get rankings on the web and Google search results, you want one for that reason, if nothing else. But the bigger reason that you want one is we're starting to see privacy become a serious issue for companies based on the type of tools you use. So states, particularly in the United States, have passed privacy laws that require you to do things such as state whether you follow do not track signals. So what will happen is some browsers, if you go on to Google Chrome and other browsers, you can go into the settings and you can pick a position where you ask not to be tracked. And those browsers will send a signal to your website whenever you go to it. And the website then can either respond and stop tracking with cookies and web beacons and what have you, or not. So what's happening with these laws is you have to make these disclosures in your privacy policy as to what your positions are. So Google Analytics is a free tool, extremely popular, extremely good tool. But Google tracks users across a variety of websites. 
And what they're really doing is they're creating marketing profiles for users. They may not know their names, but they assign them an ID. They know the different websites they go to. And I think the best ever listeners, if you think about it, say you're interested in potentially buying a truck and you go to Toyota's website, and then subsequently you go on Facebook or you go to these other sites, then suddenly there are all these Toyota ads popping up. Yep. That's behavioral tracking. That's what they're doing. They're following you. They're seeing where you're going, and then they're showing you ads based on your interests. The big question is, well, should they be allowed to do that? And in the United States, the answer is yes. In the European Union, the answer is, well, there should be a lot of disclosures and qualifiers. And what's happening is the EU is trying to enforce those rules on Google, Facebook, and these companies, regardless of where they are in the world. And so what that means for people that are using Google Analytics and everything from Amazon to all these different little programs is you need to include certain disclosures in your privacy policy. And those disclosures really should be something that you should talk to a lawyer about. They have to be legalese. They have to be written in a specific form. But basically what they are is they say, we use these tools. These tools will track you across the web. And here are links you can go to to block them. So that's an important aspect of that. The other thing with privacy policies is important is that if you're collecting information from users, one of the things that's very common is people will say, we will not share, sell, or rent your information with third parties. And it sounds like a noble concept. However, if you ever actually want to sell your business or your website, that information is valuable. And on the web, if somebody wanted your site for some reason, it is usually the most valuable thing. And you've just essentially barred yourself from selling the site. So let me give you an example. True.com was a large dating site. True.com's parent company had problems and went into bankruptcy. And True.com, in their privacy policy, has a statement, we will not sell, share, or rent your information. Another dating site called Plenty of Fish came along and tried to purchase True.com's customer database for $700,000. And attorney generals in Texas and a variety of states objected, saying, no, you said that you wouldn't share or sell this information. And the court upheld that, and the transaction was terminated. So it was a significant effect for a little statement that you'll see in privacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they shouldn't have put, we won't sell your info to anyone else or share it with anyone else. That's something that I bet a lot of people don't think of, myself included. I wouldn't think of 20 years from now if I were to sell a certain portion of my company that since I have that statement, because I'm pretty sure I have it on my website, that I can't do it. I would say 90% of all websites have it. One of the beautiful things about the internet is everything is free. But one of the terrible things about the internet is legal documents are often free. And you can go get free privacy policies and things of the sort. They're not written by lawyers. And they have these statements that just kill companies. Zappos. Zappos is a huge company. And Zappos' terms were thrown out by a court and ended up costing them millions of dollars, a case where they were hacked. And they were using terms that anybody that was a first-year law student would have known never would have been enforced. This is a company that Amazon purchased for some huge amount of money. So even the large companies have this problem. As far as going back to, if you think about a real estate investing site, images, if you're taking your own photos of properties, then you're in perfect shape. There's no issues there. But if you're using photos from other sources, copyright is an issue. And you need to make sure that you have the right to use those photos. Now, if you're pulling them from an MLS system or something of that sort, all you have to do is read through the license and there'll be something in there about you can use the photos or just ask. But going out and pulling photos from other sites without asking or without getting permission could lead to copyright infringement claims. And you have seen this in the real estate industry where sites have gone after each other. It's been the larger sites because they're pulling content from each other. It's called scraping. 
that it is very aggravating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and copyright infringement lawsuits are expensive to defend. And I realize most people aren't going to be doing this with nefarious intent or anything of that sort, but it is something you always want to think about. I have this image. I'm going to put it up. Where did I get it from? And do I have permission to use it? Mm-hmm. And so that will eliminate a lot of problems, any kind of visual site. It's true also with videos. It's also true with the descriptions of the property. Anything that you're copying from another site, just make sure that you have permission for that. What about royalty-free websites and just pulling images from there? It sounds like a great concept. I'm always nervous about it. I have had clients that have had problems. They've come to me. They've received letters. Getty Images is kind of the the famous predator online. So the best ever listeners don't know about this. Getty Images will send out these letters that basically say, you're using this image without permission. Send us $5,000 or we're going to ruin your life. Mm -hmm. These great predatory letters. and. The problem with royalty-free sites is you just don't know what the quality is. You always have to think about, well, okay, if I get sued and I turn around and I go back to the site and say, hey, you told me I could use this, well, who is that site? If it's an entity somewhere in Hong Kong or India, you're out of luck. So I prefer the paid options, and the cost has really come down. There's a company called Fotolia, F-O-T-O-L-I-A.com. They offer stock photos that are pretty cheap. But if we're talking about real estate investing, obviously with the properties, if at all possible, you want to take your own photos. You really want to take your own photos of yourself. It depends on what your unique selling position is and how you're marketing yourself. But personalized photos, something applicable to you, your personal brand, are favorable over stock photos, regardless of royalties and where they come from. People who see stock photos, they know they're stock photos. It's, uh, they may not carry the, the value that you're hoping for. I can tell you've got another point, so I'd love to hear it. I was just going to mention terms and conditions. Terms and conditions, for anybody that has an iPhone or uses Samsung or what have you, but particularly Apple, Apple is infamous. They're always requiring you to agree to their terms and conditions. With investing sites, if the users aren't required to do anything, meaning they can just browse through the site and leave, terms and conditions are difficult to enforce. What terms and conditions are is they're just a contract that governs the usage of the site. So if you think about a dating site, or let's talk about Netflix. Netflix, obviously, streaming video. When you sign up, you agree to their terms and conditions. It says you're going to be charged. You're going to be charged monthly. Here's how streaming will work. We'll get streaming to you as much as we can. However, we can't guarantee it's going to be working 24-7 every possible day. There's all these kinds of little legal terms that, mm-hmm. that you have. What courts are saying, basically, at this point is that terms and conditions are not going to be binding on your listeners or on anybody who's using the site unless they click a box that says essentially they agree to the terms and conditions and privacy policy. This is why you see this now on various sites. The reason for that is if you think back to 2000, when legal issues were coming up on the internet for the first time and were being presented to judges, most of the judges didn't even have email. Judges now use the web just like anybody else. And they know full well that the chances of anybody ever scrolling down a website (laughs) all the way to the bottom Clicking that link and reading those terms or reading the privacy policy is next to nil. It's not a real-world solution. And so they're very hesitant to force those on consumers when everybody knows they're not being read. So that check-the-box provision is really essentially a signature from the user saying, okay, I've read this. And even realistically, they haven't read it still, but that they know that it's there and they know they're agreeing. And so if any of your listeners are using a site where they're causing somebody to do something, be it a purchase, be it joining a membership for advice or something of that sort, where the user has to take an affirmative action, you want to use that clause. And it's not even a legal cost, really. If the site is built on a WordPress template, there are plugins out there that will do that for you. 
if it's built on another platform, there's scripts that floating around JavaScripts and what have you that your web designer should be able to find and apply to the website. And once you do that, then the terms become binding on the users and it's much better. Here's the reason why the terms are important. The beautiful thing about the Internet is it's worldwide. From a legal perspective, the danger of the Internet is it's worldwide. So if the best ever listener, let's say, is in Florida and has investment properties and they have a members area that they charge 9 bucks a month for or something of that sort, a member grows unhappy, that member is located in Seattle. The member files a lawsuit in Seattle against the site. Well, where is that lawsuit going to be heard? In your terms and conditions, you can have something called a choice of form clause. And that clause simply says any and all legal disputes are going to be heard in Florida, wherever the listeners look at. Google uses this, Twitter, and they're upheld about 75% of the time. There's an equity evaluation that a court will do, but they're upheld about 75% of the time. And just having that single clause and binding users to it can often eliminate lawsuits because as a person in Seattle going to go to Florida to pursue a lawsuit for something that maybe has the cost of $500, it's pretty unlikely. Right. It shields from the frivolous litigation. It wouldn't from the big-time stuff, but from the frivolous stuff, it would eliminate some headaches just having that done. Yes. However, there's been a change in the law. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yes, there's more. I'm always afraid getting into too much of the technical area. That's good. No, we like it. Okay. Well, for pretty much, oh, I want to say about the last 80 years, courts have not allowed businesses to limit the legal rights of consumers. And by limit, I mean force consumers to enter into arbitration to litigate disputes or waive their right to file class action litigation. 2011, the Supreme Court, the majority had changed over. We had a conservative majority. Conservative judges tend to be more literal in their interpretation of law, and they tend to be more business-friendly. So a case came up in 2011 called ATT Mobility versus Concepcion, and it involved a mobile phone contract and AT&T had an arbitration clause in there, and they were trying to enforce it. Now, historically, that would not have been enforceable against consumers, but the court overruled that and overruled 80 years of law, and instead they said that something called the Federal Arbitration Act of 1925, which, to be honest, all those lawyers had to go racing to the books to find out what the Federal Arbitration Act <laughs> of 1925 was, was binding, and that states could no longer pass laws on these issues. So with your terms and conditions – you can now include an arbitration clause and a class action waiver clause. The reason this is important is arbitrations tend to be very pro-business. They're not decided by juries. They're decided by retired judges or attorneys. And so technical arguments, which typically are the defenses that businesses make, and this would be true in real estate, received better, if you will, are more persuasive and can often lead to better results. From an Internet perspective, the class action waiver is really important. If we just go back to what we were just talking about, most transactions online, and not the purchase of a home or an apartment building, but most other transactions, memberships and what have you, are for a finite dollar amount that's fairly nominal. So let's say Amazon, you, you might spend 100 bucks, 200 bucks. Memberships, you might spend $40 on something a month. The dollar figures are not big. And so most people are not going to sue over those just because it's just not worth it. Right. And attorneys certainly aren't going to take the cases because they want to make money. Yep. So the way that you get around that problem in the U.S. is you file what's called a class action lawsuit. And instead of just one person filing, so let's say we have a defective product, instead of one person, each person who's purchased that filing an individual lawsuit, they're all grouped together. And so you end up with what's called a class, which may be 
50,000 people, 100,000 people. I think we've all been watching TV late at night when the uh, attorney who looks like he's on The Sopranos comes on and starts saying, you know, did you ever use this product? Call yep. us at this number. Is there a minimum number of people that was I believe it's 5,000 these 5, days. Okay. It depends if they're bringing it under federal and state law. But that's not the goal. The goal is to get a much larger group. Yeah. And then at that point, you can recover attorney's fees. And class action litigation has always been a little odd because the attorneys make out like bandits. But because you have such a large <laughs> class of people, they end up getting checks for six bucks, something of that sort. <laughs> so it's been criticized for a long time. And with your terms and conditions now, you can include a class action waiver clause, which says when you check that box saying, I agree to the terms and conditions and privacy policy, you're agreeing to these terms in clause 23A says that you can't pursue a class action lawsuit against us. You can't participate in a class. That clause with the arbitration clause and with the choice of forum clause, those three clauses eliminate 85, 90% of potential lawsuits against online businesses. Mm. And so you see large companies going ahead and putting these in. And some of the companies who are really on top of it in their legal departments, Instagram, for instance, they did it right away. And, People sent out an email saying, we're making these changes, <laughs> and people read them and started saying, wait, you're essentially eliminating the ability to be sued, and we're not happy. And the blowback was immense, and I believe Instagram actually changed their terms back at one point. So there is a question of, do you want to do it from a practical standpoint? And the old saying is, all PR is good PR, and I think most of us know that's not actually the case. But for companies that are starting and for small companies, uh, small websites, real estate investors, most of the websites I would expect the best ever listeners to have, it would be something you would want to include if, again, there's a situation where you can force the visitors to your site to check a box mm-hmm. agreeing to those terms. And those three clauses, will you summarize them, just to name them, those three, one more time? Sure. First one is the choice of form clause. Yep. That's going to set wherever the lawsuit occurs. Second one is mandatory arbitration clause. And that essentially forces the visitor to pursue arbitration instead of a trial in court. And then the class action waiver clause. The class action waiver clause prevents the user from going ahead and joining a class. And so it goes a long way to eliminating most serious lawsuits. Choice of form clause that sets the location for the proceedings. And the second one was? A mandatory arbitration clause. And then the third one would be the class action waiver clause. Sweet. Mandatory arbitration means they have to try and get a solution outside of court? Yes, they would be barred from going to court. In some situations, something that occurs in the legal proceedings now, which I think you're talking about, is the courts are backed up and so they will often send parties off to arbitration if for no other reason just to buy time. Those are not binding, so the parties will go to arbitration and they'll present their cases and an arbitrator will basically tell them, well, I think here's how it would come out and try and talk reality to one side or the other. Those are not actually binding proceedings the clause that you would put into your terms and conditions would be binding, which would mean the arbitration would occur, the arbitrator would render a decision, and that is the decision. So the first one, choice of form clause, sets where it will take place if there is legal proceedings. The second one, mandatory arbitration clause, says you're barred from going to court. You you actually doesn't matter where the location is. And the third one, the class action waiver clause, says you can't join a class action lawsuit. Yes. Well, those three clauses, best ever listeners, as Richard said, can eliminate up to 85%, roughly, of the lawsuits for online businesses. And for us as real estate investors, if you have a membership site or if you just want to be super protected with your stuff, then 
you can include those three clauses. You can talk to Richard. We're about to ask him where we can get in touch with them. But then one key thing that you said earlier, Richard, was to have the checkbox. It's not just a passive document that's a link at the very bottom of the website. Correct, yes, and that's very important. The user has to check that box and agree. If you just have a blog and there's no area where anybody purchases anything, an ebook or anything of that sort, then those clauses are not applicable. However, if you just have a blog, chances of you being sued for anything are, are very low, unless you obviously go nuts and start defaming people right left or something of that sort. But your risk of being sued is, is very low. Again, copyright would probably be the only issue there. You just want to make sure that whatever images you're using, that you have the right to use those. Richard, where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? They can reach me through my website, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Mention the show, and I'll be happy to give you a free consult. If you can't find me on the website for some reason, you can also get my name, Richard Chapo, through Google. You can always find me there. Chapo is also the name of a large drug kingpin in Mexico. I am not related <laughs> to him. I just want to make that absolutely clear. <laughs> so I get asked quite frequently because it is an odd last name. But either of those sources, and you'll be able to get a hold of me, and I'll be happy to talk to you. It's also a name of a band that I like, although they spell it with one more P than you. They spell it C-H-A-P-P-O. They've got some good songs. They're from Brooklyn. I saw them on a tour of... There's like a boat cruise thing around Manhattan when I lived in New York, and I saw them a couple times. Like in 2013, they've gotten a little bit bigger now. But obviously they haven't hit the West Coast yet because you don't know them, and you know all about the music scene in indie rock. All right, Richard. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for talking about the three clauses to eliminate up to 85% of lawsuits for our online businesses that I just recapped earlier, as well as areas to shore up with our website, including the images and videos. You gave a resource, which I'm not familiar with. I'll check out Fotolia and then the terms and conditions that we talked about with making sure that they check the box. If that is the type of business that we're in, because in some cases that's just going to be overkill. And in my case, that's going to be overkill and it's not necessary. But if I were to have an online membership site or something, then maybe that would be the case. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.